Romans chapter 6. We started last week, and um, it feels like it was a month ago to me. I don't know if it's been a long week for you all, and I'll refer back to that sermon several times today. But in Romans 6, I'd love for you to pick up with me at verse 15, and I would like for us to go through the end of that chapter and hear what uh, Paul, uh, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, therefore what God says to us, said first to that local church in Rome, but with application for us today. So by God's grace, we will hear and apply the word today. Romans 6, we begin at verse 15. Paul says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Let me stop there, and we'll do 20 through 23 in just a minute. But Paul opens this section with um, a question. Verse 15 asks a question just as verse 1 of chapter 6 asks a question. And when you look at it, you're going to find that those questions are, are really almost identical. Verse 1 that we looked at last week, and if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there and you can see it this morning. Verse 1 said, do we continue in sin that grace may abound? This whole issue of grace, this unmerited favor of God that's poured out on us. And so Paul asked the church, he said, should we just sin more so that we get more grace? And if you remember last week, the answer was no, by no means. Heaven forbid, God forbid, whichever translation you have and however it says it. Well, when you come to verse 15, it's another similar question. And, and the reason why that is is because verse 14 made the point that you and I are no longer under law, but we're under grace. And so some folks will hear grace, 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 and they will want to abuse, abuse, abuse grace. And so it's another question. And, and so in verse 15, are we to sin because we're no longer under the law? So we're not under law. We're under grace. Should we sin more? And again, the answer comes back, by no means. Absolutely not. And so that's the first question. And then Paul gives us a second question. And, and we just read it, but the, the question relates to the illustration that he's setting up for this particular chapter in the book, this particular section of the letter. And the second question relates to what you and I understand about our particular situation, our particular standing. And he says, do you not know that the one to whom you offer yourself as a slave is the one you obey? And so Paul's reminding the Christians, you can be a slave to sin or you can be enslaved to obedience. 
And so here's this clear dichotomy. If you're enslaved to sin, it leads to death. But if you're enslaved to obedience, it leads to righteousness. And so when you get to verse 17, he's asked these questions, and those questions really are making points, but he's making points by asking questions. And so he says in verse 17, thanks be to God. It's a little bit of a celebration. And so anytime you hear someone say, thanks be to God, that's a celebration. That's rejoicing. That's giving credit where credit is really due. And Paul says, thanks be to God. And then he just walks through and he tells them what they used to be, what they did, what happened to them, and what they have become. And so it was a good reminder for the church at Rome. It might be a good reminder for the church at Gillum Springs. To remember what we used to be, what we did, what happened to us, and what we have become. And so, th this is just laid out plainly in Scripture, but what a wonderful reminder. And he's telling them, you were once slaves to sin. That's where all of us are before we come to Christ. But he said something happened. You, you changed. You were no longer slave to sin. You became obedient. Then thirdly, he says, you're set free from sin. And then this interesting concept that he really dwells on in this passage is that they were now no longer slaves to sin. They're slaves to righteousness. So here are some observations. I know y'all all showed up for Jamie's observations today. Here are some observations, and it is just clear in Scripture. And what Paul is saying is that you and I are all slaves to something or to someone. So understand, spiritually, spiritually speaking, now you know we, we are free in this world. We're free in this, uh, this uh, country that we live in, this community. You came freely to church today. Nobody compelled you. But spiritually speaking, we are either slaves to sin or slaves to God. It's that clear. Coming to Christ in salvation is the only way of changing who your master is. It is the only way for you to realign what you or who you are enslaved to. And, and then he gets into this wordy, and some people would even say strange way of describing how we come to Christ. And, and he says that the way this has happened is that you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now, understand, he's writing to a church. He's writing to Christians like you and me. He's writing to Christians who are trying to live differently. They're trying to live a straight life in a crooked world. They're trying to make Jesus relevant every day of the week, every hour of every day. A different world, a different culture, but the challenges are not that much unlike our challenges. And so he's writing to those in Rome, and he says, here's the deal. You heard the story of Jesus. You heard the teaching about Jesus. You heard about this Jewish rabbi who went to the cross and died and rose again. 
You heard about his ministry of healing, his ministry of teaching. You heard everything about him. And isn't that just like you and me? We heard that story. Most of us are blessed to have grown up in the church, and we've heard that story our whole life. We live in a part of the world and in a particular culture where Christianity is not foreign. And so just like those Christians in Rome, they heard the story, and it was different than what they were hearing in their day and age. The story of Jesus is very different than the pagan religions, that one would lay down his life, that, that, that God would take on flesh, extremely different from the pagan religions of the Roman world of the first century. And I, I, here's the other thing, very different from the religious teaching of Judaism. The, the, the religion, the standards, the legality of Judaism that Jesus would come it's very different. And so they were presented with this story. They were presented with his teaching. They were presented with, if I can just say it this way, the gospel, the good news. And then it was up to the hearer to determine how they will respond. And he said, you became obedient from your heart. Now let me chase this little rabbit trail for just a minute. Or you don't actually chase a rabbit trail. You probably chase a rabbit on a trail. Or maybe I'm going down a pig trail. <laughs> but here's the deal. I, I, I need to remind you lovingly, gently, but also very pointedly. If your heart is never changed, then you are never changed. Because, see, religion is all about the head. But a relationship is all about the heart. That's why Scripture says, guard your heart. And so Paul says that when you were presented, church at Rome, when you Christians in Rome heard the story, you were presented with this whole concept of being made right with God through his son Jesus, then your heart led to your obedience. And the same is true today. It is never enough for you to merely mentally assent to the teachings of Jesus. You've got to have your heart stirred. You've got to have your heart changed. You've got to have a heart transplant. Somebody's got to work on your heart. Where you know absolutely at the core of who you are, you're a sinner, you're enslaved to sin, you're lost, you're bound for hell. But God loves you, and when your heart gets that message, when it makes the journey from here to here, that's when things start to happen. Amen. And so Paul tells the church that their heart moved them to a commitment to a standard of teaching. That's an unusual way to describe what happens in salvation. But really what Paul is saying is the word is handed over. And so it could be a play on words because the word handed over could refer Paul talking about you were enslaved to sin, but now you've been handed over to become a slave of righteousness. And he's talking here about the very word of God. Because when you and I hear the word, when you and I hear the gospel, when you and I are confronted with the living, active, sharper than a double-edged sword word of God, we are stirred, we are moved. 
And it's the word that instructs, it's the word that directs, it's the word that inspires. And according to verse 18, as a result of all that, they were set free from sin. And freedom is really the theme. Freedom is a huge theme in, in, in what Paul had to say in the first, sun, in, in the first century. Uh, his letters that are written talk a lot about freedom. In Galatians chapter 5, we, we read that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Paul says we can be set free. And in the Greek, the word free means free. It means released. It, it means unchained. It, it, it means set free from captivity. But understand that what happens is you move from slavery to sin to slavery to righteousness. It means you move from one master to another. Today in Japan, there are 380 fellow U.S. citizens on a cruise ship in a port on a ship that they cannot leave for fear of the coronavirus. Now, some of us might think that might not be too bad. I paid for a week and I'm getting a month on a cruise ship, but it's just sitting there. They're bringing the meals, they're knocking on the door. But you're stuck on a ship. Last week, late last week, the U.S. government said, we're coming to set them free. They announced that we're going to charter planes, we're going to fly to Japan, we're going to bus our citizens from that ship to these planes, and we're going to fly them to the United States where they will be put into quarantine for two more weeks. They're moving from one enslavement to another. That's not the best illustration, but what the Bible says is that in Christ, you and I move from one enslavement to another. That is how it is from us. We move from slavery of sin to slaves of righteousness. It is a matter of transferring who and what has control and power over us. Now, as I said, last Sunday feels like it was a month ago, but I told you in the sermon last week that it is as if you and I unchain ourselves from sin and we shackle ourselves to Jesus. We're unshackled from sin and death where we are then shackled to life and hope and the future of Jesus. Understand this, though, that when you are shackled to Jesus, you really are free. But now let me caution you because oftentimes some people will hear freedom, freedom, freedom. Some people will hear grace, grace, grace. And they will think then I'm free to live and to do whatever I choose. That is a misunderstanding of what it means to be free in Christ. For you to think you can live and act and behave any sort of way you want because you're free in Christ, that is an abuse of grace. It is a mockery of Christ. It is slanderous to the church. You and I are freed from sin so that we can then be enslaved to righteousness. Look with me again at verse 19. 
He says, I am speaking in human terms. Why? Because we need it in human terms. Have you ever heard you can be so spiritually minded you're no earthly good? I think that could be part of what Paul is talking about here. It's, it's not enough that we understand all the theological concepts. He's going to tell us how this plays out in our lives. And he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. What's the natural limitations? We're getting it all in the flesh. We're hearing it. We're applying it. We're trying to live it out. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity... Just as you once presented your members leading to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, he says, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. This is a just as, so now argument. And he's saying, just as you once lived this way, so now, live this way. Just as you once did this, so now, do this. And he uses the term of presenting your members, present your members. It is a word that means to lay down beside. It is in our understanding perhaps a good way to see it as someone comes and serves you a meal. They set a meal before you. They set it down. They lay it aside, everything else. They present it to you. And what Paul says is that you and I used to present ourselves to sin, but now we ought not do that. And he reminds us that when we presented our members to sin, he says it led to more lawlessness. Now, again, you may not remember last week, but I tried to illustrate this truth by talking about something very foreign to me, eating sweets. And I said, if I take one bite, I want 10 bites. And if I take 10 bites, I'll take 100 bites. If I eat one little Debbie, bless God, let's eat the whole box. And so that was a way to try to illustrate what sin does. One sin is never enough. And he says if you present your bodies, if you present yourself, if sin is served up in your life, you're just going to want more sin, more sin, more sin. And he says now what we ought to do is not present ourselves to sin. What we ought to do is present our members as slaves of righteousness. It's a picture of us laying ourselves before the Lord, serving ourselves up to Jesus as it were, saying, Lord, here I am. I am fully surrendered to you. I've unshackled myself from sin. I'm chaining myself to you, and I want to be like you. I want to act like you. I want to think like you. I want to lift up your name. I want to glorify your name. I want to be busy with your work. I want to be about your people. I want to be as much like you as I can be. And if you remember last week in that sermon, I quoted from Galatians, and I talked about how 
you and I can read some lists in Scripture that are very specific. Paul mentioned, it may not have been Galatians, it may have been Ephesians. I can't remember. It feels like it was a month ago. But he got very practical about this. And he began to list off, and he gave an example. He says lying. So, so maybe, maybe I, we're not going to say this is my sin. We're not going to hang liar signs around us. But maybe that's your sin. And Paul told the church, he said, look, if that's your thing, don't lie anymore. And so if you struggle with that, then you say today, Lord Jesus, forgive me for lying. I'm not going to lie today with your help. Maybe it's anger. That was in the list I gave you last week. Paul says, look, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And maybe that's for you a struggle. You've got an issue with anger. And you would say to the Lord, Lord, today, help me not to be angry. And you know what's going to happen. Somebody's going to show up in your life. It's going to challenge you to the core. And you're going to want to get angry. And you're going to have to say, Lord, I submit again. He, he gave the issue of being lazy. He told the church, don't be lazy, work. And so maybe, maybe you've been cutting some corners and you've been lazy and maybe that's your sin and your struggle. And, and Paul would say, submit yourself to the Lord. Present your bodies, present your members to the Lord so that you would be pleasing to him. Maybe you've been unkind. Maybe somehow, somewhere you realize you looked at the person across from you and you didn't see them as somebody for whom Jesus died. You were unkind to them. Paul would say, don't be unkind anymore. And maybe that's your challenge today, that today, God, with your help, I'm not going to present myself to the sin of unkindness. I'm going to, with your help, be kind. Now, we could go one by one through various sins that are listed in Scripture, but I'll just tell you, the flesh cries out for something. The, the flesh struggles with something. And so today, Lord, God, today, with your help, I present myself to you for the purpose of, here's the big church word that he used, sanctification. Sanctification. Sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? Oh, sanctified. Oh, glory to God. <laughs> sanctified. <laughs> Did y'all see the spit come out? But I'm telling you, that word, it's a process. If you present yourself to God and say, help me today, you've asked him to help you become sanctified. It's the sanctification process where today you're more like Jesus than you were yesterday. I started the process at 15. I'm 51. I'm not there yet. You started at a particular age. Let me assure you, you're not there yet. But one day, one day, because it's both a process and a resultant state. One day we will be sanctified when we have been glorified. And then we come to Romans, the last few verses, beginning at verse 20. And here's the little summary of this section. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. 
And what he's talking about is that there was a particular day when you were free regarding righteousness. Why were you free? You were not a slave of righteousness. You were a slave of sin. Therefore, righteousness was not even on your radar. It didn't matter. You didn't care. But then Paul looks back. He looks today, and he looks to the future. But what fruit were you getting at that time? From the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. Here, Paul's just saying, okay, look back to the time when you were free of righteousness. You were unconcerned about it. You were not changed to Jesus. You were not chained to righteousness. You were living in sin. And he says, what fruit were you getting? That is, what were you enjoying? What benefit do you have? What do you have to show for it? In the way of sin, the way of spiritual death, what do you have to show for it? Is the fruit of your sin anything worth counting is what Paul's saying. Is there any joy? Is there any comfort? Is there any peace? Is there any forward momentum? I have yet to meet the person who says, I'm thankful for all the years I lived in sin. I'm thankful for the destruction sin wrought in my life. I, I've not met that person. Most people, when they come to God, say, thanks be to God, I'm finally home. I've wasted these years. I've ruined my life. God's got to help me put it back together. And so Paul's just saying, where's the fruit? And so some of you today, you can look back and you can say, there's no fruit. <laughs> And some of you may be here today and you think you're living a fruitful life, but the Holy Spirit of God will pierce your heart and show you, you've got nothing to show for your sin. Nothing but heartache, heartbreak, ruined relationships. And so that's Paul looking back. But then Paul looks at the present. Look at verse 22. But now, how do we know it's present? He says, but now. <laughs> that's what it means in the Greek. Now means now. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get, here's the fruit of being enslaved to Christ and to righteousness. That fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. That, that's forward momentum. That's positivity. That, that's sanctification. That's fruit. That's freedom. As we daily take up our cross to follow Jesus, that's what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the beauty of spiritual truth it seems like loss but friend i'm telling you it's gain and so then paul clarifies the spiritual truth when he writes a verse that many of us know for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord we typically use that verse when sharing the gospel with someone who's lost, who's unsaved, unredeemed, bound for hell, enslaved to sin. We use that verse, and it communicates truth that we need. But please don't forget, Paul wrote that verse to church folks. 
to save people. He wrote that to Christians. And so here's the deal. Every time we exchange our slavery to the Savior, to slavery, to sin, we die just a little bit. Life is not found in feeding this flesh. Life is found in the fatality of the flesh. That when we're dead, when we're crucified, when we're no longer enslaved to sin but to righteousness, God stands ready with the greatest of gifts, the most amazing of gifts, eternal life. Ray Steadman pastored in California for Many years, he said he was driving in Southern California one day, and he saw a guy with one of those sandwich boards on, and you never know what you're going to read. But he said, on that one, that day, it said, I'm a slave of God. And on the opposite side was the question, whose slave are you? And it would seem as though Paul is presenting that stark consideration Bob Dylan, the great theologian, <laughs> wrote a song that said, you got to serve somebody. said, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. You may be a State trooper, you might be a young Turk, you might be the head of some big TV network, you may be rich or poor, blind or lame, you may be living in another country under another name. You may be a construction worker working on a home, you might be living in a mansion or you might live in a dome. You might own guns, you might even own tanks, you might be somebody's landlord, you might even own banks. But even Bob Dylan says, but you're going to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And while it's not my common practice to go to the, to the wonderful lyrics of Bob Dylan music, he may be on to something there. I'm telling you, we're, we're enslaved to something. And we're going to serve somebody or something. Now, I want to tell you what. There's an enslavement to sin. There's an enslavement to the Savior. Your heart needs to be stirred. Most of us who gather here week in and week out, we would say, I'm serving the Savior. I'm enslaved to Jesus. I'm walking with Him, and I hope that is true. And if it's not true for you today, I want to tell you, there is a free gift that God offers. It is the most beautiful, it is the most amazing, and it is readily available for you if you'll claim that gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can be saved today. And the rest of us, we need to make sure we're enslaved to righteousness. That daily we're giving ourselves, that we're presenting ourselves to the Lord. Pray with me. Today, Lord, how thankful we are for your grace and your mercy and your kindness. We're thankful for the truth of your word. And though it's wordy, I pray we would not get lost in that, but simply understand 
that we are either slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness. We're either walking by the flesh or walking in the Spirit. We're either living in this world or we're getting ready for the eternal life with you. The, the, the contrasts are so stark and so clear and so powerful. And so, Lord, my prayer is that every person who's here today has the personal assurance that they are walking with you, that they're slaves of righteousness. If not, God, give someone the courage to step forward, to confess you as Lord and Savior. But help us all to understand it's a daily struggle, a daily grind where we would deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. Where we would present ourselves to you to be slaves of righteousness. God, grant that, I pray, and as we worship, may your Holy Spirit direct us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.